Welcome back to Yes And, My Mom's Dead with me, Devin. I don't think I've ever introduced myself. There you go. Hello. Nice to meet you. Uh, now that we got that out of the way, today in the podcast, Luke Stanaway is on and damn it, what a guy. Uh, I had a really great conversation with him a few months back and haven't released it yet, uh, but he, uh, in between recording the interview and now he unexpectedly lost his other parent. Um, his mom died recently. And um, I talked to him about what he wanted to do, whether or not even wanted to release this. So uh, we kind of settled on uh, doing a follow-up uh, call. So after this interview, um, music will come in. It will fade out. Uh, and then I just put the entirety of the call I had with him. Uh, and I really... Highly advise, ooh, airplanes. You know what? I'm not re-recording it. This is this is life. There's airplanes. There's airplanes. Um, yeah, I highly recommend listening to the uh, call afterwards. It is heartbreaking, but, you know, great in a way. Um, just to sort of reconnect with him and see where he's at right now. And I think that's a big part of this anyway. It's just checking in with people about where they're at in the moment with the loss they've dealt with. So, yeah. Um, okay, hard left <laughs> to uh, plugging stuff for Luke. Um, he talks about working on a movie that he was making and the Instagram for that, if you want to follow when it's coming out. Uh, they just did a screening recently, but it's at when is now film. When is now film. Uh, like it sounds. Spelled like it sounds. Um, check that out. Uh, and you know what? Enjoy this. It's a really fun conversation, um, and it is great and funny and sad and a lot of things. <laughs> That's my accurate professional description. And at least for the moment, let's have some fun and enjoy some Beastie Boys and Luke Stanley. Kick it! I do really like that idea, though, of like, yeah. having all of one artist. Oh, place. yeah, the the Hood Finch. Um, yeah, I just really like I like his stuff. Actually, the John Lennon thing there in the corner is not his, but that came with the house, mm. and so I was like, I'll just put it over there. Nice. <laughs> like I like the Beatles, you know, right? <laughs> but I don't know if I want. David or J- David, John Lennon, <laughs> David just staring Lennon. me, staring yeah. at me. I actually just listened to Sean Lennon, uh, his son on WTF. Do you ever listen to that podcast? The, the Mark Maron, Mark Maron um, occasionally, but no, it was pretty interesting. I mean, he's like Sean Lennon is, I mean, his, so John Lennon died. His dad died when he was uh, like five or something. Yeah. Um, so he didn't, you know, it's not like you really knew him very well. 
or like doesn't. But he was saying he has like all these memories of him and stuff. It's, I was gonna say you should have Sean on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and my dad's a beetle. <laughs> yeah, and he's and dead. He's dead. A dead beetle, and everyone knows that. <laughs> Did you see the yesterday movie? No, was it good? Well, I really liked it, but there's the scene like spoiler alert where yeah. he wants to hunt down John Lennon because in this universe he was never murdered because he was never famous. Right. Uh-huh. And so there's a scene of, um, of the guy Jack tracking down and he's like this old, like fisherman yeah. on a little Island in England. Um, and he opens the door and they cast the guy that looks very much like John Lennon, but the voice is like, so not, Oh, so weird. It was like just kind of like a oh yeah, hey, soft spoken kind of, you know, it's not what you would think. Everyone knows John Lennon's voice. I mean, it was probably the right move to not do an impression, <laughs> but it was just weird because it looks like John Lennon if yeah. he was alive, but um but the, that was a good movie. Uh can you do a Liverpool accent? I feel like you're very good at accents. Can you do a John Lennon? <laughs> would it be appropriate for you to do it here? <laughs> right. Um I I might dip into others, but I don't know, never really <laughs> I'll, really I don't tried. know. Never, is, don't it, know really. is it more of these? Or is uh, yeah. that Paul? I don't know. <laughs> no, Paul's a little bit more of a kind of singing song. Like, I loved Dana Carvey's impression of him on SNL in the 90s because it was just always like, oh, it was a knock, knock, knock on your door and who's there? <laughs> because of him, like the only version of yeah. an HW I could ever do yeah, is just gonna that. Not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. I think I actually said that on one of these episodes before. Not going to do it. It, yeah. just, it just glided by. <laughs> no one... <laughs> No, oh, store oh, I got it. You got it? Of course. Oh, wow. Of big course. big fan. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so you uh, just, uh, well, I guess I should introduce you. Luke Stanaway. Is that where you go? I know you have a hyphenated. Yeah, so full name is Luke Ryan Stanaway hyphen Neblo um, because my parents were never married. Got it. So when I was born, they gave me both. They were still dating, but oh. um, they couldn't decide, and so... Stanaway is my mom's side and Neblo is my dad. Um, so, so yeah, but I've always kind of identified more with the Stanaways. And so yeah. I just go by that. Um, and then, you know, acting and whatever, I'm just known as Luke Stanaway, but yeah, people close to Luke me. Stanaway. I mean, it's an, it's got a nice ring to it. Thank you. Yeah, it does. It's yeah. like one of those, you know, it's like, yeah, I can see that being a stage. Well, thing, I, but it's well, like when I joined too. SAG, I almost did, um, Luke Ryan, Oh yeah, but in my head not. I was like, "Well, if I get really famous, then everyone's gonna know me as Luke Ryan, and I don't want to sign autographs as Luke." And I'm like, "That's not gonna happen. Probably, I'm not gonna be that famous." But whatever, I was like, "Wait, why don't you more unique? Sign autographs as Luke Ryan?" Because I was like, "Because then people will think that that's my real last name." Oh, and I, um, and then <laughs> there's like some movie where uh, I saw there was like a child actor named uh-huh. Luke Ryan. And I'm like, he can have it. <laughs> Luke Ryan is a very actory name. Right. And that's the other thing. I was like, yeah, ah. it's, it's like, it, I would be on days of our lives. Like it's a soap opera actor name. I've always felt that people that have stage names like that, um, it's like a little sad unless they're very famous. Mm. But when you see, when you meet someone that's like clearly has a stage name, but they're not famous, it's like, oh, okay. Like if Tom Cruise <laughs> was just nobody. Wait, is, what's his real name? Thomas uh, Mapother the Fourth. What? M A P O T H E R. Like no way. Mapother or Mapother. 
That doesn't even fourth. ring a bell. I like truly yep. don't believe you. Look it up. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> just choose to not believe you. That's true. That's wild. Yeah. And other people are like Michael Keaton is Michael Douglas, but there was oh. already a Michael Douglas. Oh. So well, I have that a friend, makes sense though. I have a friend that waited on Michael Keaton a few years ago at um, Chateau Marmont. Yeah. Right down and, the street, by the way. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it still was like on his credit card and everything. He's like, here you go, Mr. Douglas. Oh. Yeah, can you imagine meeting uh, a struggling actor and he's like, hi, I'm Tom Cruise. (laughs) And you're like, dude, just go by your real name. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so fucking cool now. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I like the stand away. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So uh, you mentioned you're from Michigan. Yeah. uh, And you were doing improv before you moved out here? A little bit. Um, The last, I would say, like maybe two or three years that I was living there, I was part of a um, sketch and improv group, but we didn't do any long form. It oh, was right. short form games in between sketches that we all wrote. Um, was this a college thing? Nope. Um, it was after college um, that I joined. It was called the Prison City Players because Jackson, <laughs> Michigan oh, God. has a few claims to fame, but for a long time, they were the largest state prison in the country. Uh-huh. And so it was like Jeopardy questions, you know, or, or answers right. like the state but now there's a couple prisons there but the main one that they were known for like closed down and now it's a museum but like in general when you live there you don't like it's not like a part of your upbringing like yeah. the prison but um yeah the comedy group was i came like shortly after it was formed from one of my college theater professors okay. she was one of the leaders and um yeah invited me to join and we'd put on shows and 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 it was awesome um is that but did, so you started doing theater stuff before? Was that yeah? When did you- I started like in really actually kind of late in high school. I didn't do any plays until the last year, my senior year. I'd always wanted to, um, you know, even from like an early age. I always was very theatrical and you know into either doing voices or dressing up in costumes. Or I I have a distinct a distinct memory of um, I think it was like second grade. I faked an injury just to like trick the teacher or whatever. And I'm, you know, riling in pain and she comes over and then I just start laughing and she's like, Oh my God, Luke Stanway Neblo. If you don't become an actor when you grow up, I'm going to kill you. And I just remember that like sticking out of my head and I was like, Oh, maybe I should be an actor. But I was really terrified in high school to, to give it a try. And then my junior year, I, um, I worked up the nerve to audition for Footloose, the musical. Great. And it, worst audition of my life. I remember I was so bad, but I was cast as cowboy number two. And, but it was right after I got my first job, um, which was a busboy at the restaurant around the corner from me. And I didn't realize how much work went into making a play and, you know, rehearsals after school. And I was like, well, I'm trying to work too. So two weeks into rehearsals, I had to drop out. And then I went to see the show and I, I was in tears at how amazing it was. Like oh. we had a really good theater program, um, Jackson high school Vikings go Vikings. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, this is so great. And I was like, I have to do every play I can my senior year. So then oh, nice senior year came the first show of the year though. I also had a terrible audition and it was just like, it was called the Clumsy Custard Horror Show, which is like, um, I th- I think it's still doing a run on Broadway. No, it's not famous at all. <laughs> so you got, uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like I, I never did, 
I never did theater uh, or anything. I was just too scared. I was always scared. Yeah. Um, the first time I really ever got on stage, uh, other than music, because I played drums forever. And then, well, I guess I did a stupid uh, parody rap thing. I'm, did I tell I've you about done, this? No, but I've done many of those. Oh, I bet so you I, have. Really. <laughs> the Prison City Players, I, yeah, I played I a Christian rapper that did spoofs, but in like... <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. I want to hear this. Do you have any recorded stuff? Uh, well, I do have recorded like serious hip hop. I put out a very oh. underground hip hop album a few years ago. No way. Yeah, it's on Dat Piff mixtape. And it's actually, it's for real serious? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started in high school. I was a 14-year-old uh, dorky looking freshman. I make yeah. a reference to that in the album's intro. And I went undefeated in battle raps. Whoa. I went 10 and 0. Then I stopped. And then... I would keep writing because I wanted to be a singer songwriter, uh-huh. but I quit guitar after like two months because it was too hard and I wasn't a great singer. So then I was like, well, I can rap, but then I would just never really take it that seriously. I was more of an actor, but then um, I have a really good friend who's a great hip hop musician back home, uh, Shell Dot, and he offered to help produce an album for me because I was like, I've been writing a lot of stuff. I found some beats online and like, I'm kind of proud of it, but some of it yeah. didn't turn out that well. Like I had to do like three of the songs vocals on my phone and send it oh, to him. So a few of them sound a little off, but um, I, I, yeah, I've I, always, I was a legit rapper for that's a minute. so funny. I all the all the rap stuff I used to do was, I mean, all not serious because mm-hmm. I was, I mean, I don't know. I was like, there's no way I can be good enough for it to be real. So right. I have to. Always, like if, if anyone ever said they hate this, I would go, yeah, yeah, me too. I, yeah, it's, it's a joke. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> totally. It's so, it's like, it's terrifying to do something that with zero irony, because then if someone says they don't like it, you're like, no, that's me. <laughs> um, okay. So, so you're doing uh, like theater and stuff in high school yep. and does that continue in college? Um, yeah. Fell in love with it senior year and um, went to... Uh, the local community college in Jackson um, did their wait. What's their mascot? <laughs> the Jets. Go Jets! Yeah. <laughs> now it's just called Jackson College. Mm-hmm. They removed the community, but Coming I was there up. when it was JCC, and also a very excellent theater program, but very small school. You know, I was still living at home, driving to, to classes, and um, yeah, I was there for. So I just like you know officially chose to be a theater major. Um, I was there for three years because in my second year, I couldn't decide where I wanted to transfer. And then I transferred to a very small university in Adrian, Michigan called Siena Heights University. Go Saints, which is, uh, it started off as a private, it, it, I guess it still is technically a private Catholic university. I'm not religious at all. And so I was worried. I was like, do you have to like go to church if you go to the school? And they're like, nope. But it was founded by... Um, this famous group called the Adrian Dominican Sisters. Okay. And uh, Bill Murray's sister is a nun there. What? Or at least she was. I think she's retired. Um, awesome. Yeah. So that's one little claim to fame. Is she funny? I hope so. She, I'm sure she is. Okay. She's in the convent, just busting up. Is that uh, where you started doing like sketches or comedic stuff? Still not really, no. I was... Um, I was just a theater major there, um, went there for two years and got my degree. And then my best friend and I, Adam, um, he um, grew up like three blocks from me. 
and at some point he got interested in in film and he had, he was a film major um, at Western Michigan and in college at some point we started writing together and so the point um, was always to or the the plan was to always move to LA together after college we were going to graduate and get jobs to save up money for LA and so he graduated a year before I did because I did five years he did four so he was at uh, JC Penney in the men's department and then I graduated and I got a job at JC Penney in the shoe department selling shoes on commission like <laughs> oh, learning oh god really yeah you selling commission there they don't do it anymore they they dropped the commission right before i left there um but yeah for a while i was i was hustling i was at jc penny for a year and then i worked in a restaurant for a month and got fired nice um and then yeah i had started working at um enterprise and then so i transferred yeah got it but and yeah you got yeah. here and started doing improv yeah, so by this point I had already you know been with the with the local comedy group and I was also on a local TV show um very short-lived called Whoa. Buzz TV and they pitched it as like a Saturday night like local version of SNL. So I was like hell yeah, like that was my lifelong dream. And but it was <laughs> to on to be on a local version of yeah. SNL. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, no, it was like it was on ABC it was on the local ABC affiliate after Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, wow. On Friday nights, actually, I think it was. Yeah, not Saturdays. That's actually pretty cool. It was cool. And like they started telling me, like, oh, yeah, you know, these executives in, in Lansing and Detroit, they've seen the show and they think you're really good. And I'm like, okay, this is my ticket. Like, yeah. But it wasn't. Um, the show was pretty bad. <laughs> I, I like, and this is not like being cocky or whatever like i was the best part of it because of this we recorded this um this session of matthew mcconaughey bad uh, uh like uh, lost auditions uh-huh. and so we shot all these takes and we started just playing them at different parts in different episodes and so like that was probably the best thing that the show put out because it would be like a couple sketches and then an interview with like a local coffee shop owner or somebody, and then at the end, a musician. But the guy that created the show was like, his voice was over everything. So he wrote everything, and the sketches were terrible, like just not funny and raunchy and inappropriate, and but not even like well-written. Sure. And like, you know, I can it, imagine. It, it got to the point where as the season progressed, it was just focusing on like, how white trash can we make this episode? Like Mud Holland. Uh, you know, and then like the, like the most like redneck guests and bands. And then like, I would be on there for some like shitty thing that he wrote and I'm trying my best, but I'm like, the only things that I really got to write were my McConaughey thing. And then this other sketch that I wrote, um, but it turned out terrible. Do you have any of these record, like the sketches? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're still on YouTube. My friend and I found them. Oh my God. Yeah, can I found, put a link to that? Yes, yes. <laughs> I'll find the, the best bad episode. <laughs> and uh, That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That's such a weird... So I was doing yeah. both of those things, but that was my only... And then I was in a local um, horror movie um, in college. Yeah. Um, so I, but um, I didn't have like too much acting stuff going on. So when... Uh, well, let's get the timeline. When did your dad die? How old were you? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that is what it's about. Yeah. So I, I have a lot of good stories about my dad. Um, so he <laughs> died um, three weeks before my 18th birthday. Okay. 
So, so it was in high school. In high school. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. And you mentioned your parents weren't together. So were you, did you live with? No. So I grew up mostly with my mom. Um, when I was born, they were still together. I don't know if they were living together, but quickly he moved um, to Arizona. So mm-hmm. he moved to Scottsdale. And when I was like, uh, like four, my mom and I went out there because we still had our house in Michigan, but he was like trying to recruit us to possibly move to Scottsdale because it was before I was in school. So, you know, it would have been an easy transition. And we were out there for seven months. And then I just remember one day, like my mom saying, okay, it's time to go back home, like pack up the car. And her and I drove back to Michigan. And then I started school there. And, um, it would become a thing where I would talk to my dad on the phone. And then once I was like probably seven or eight, I would go out there every summer to visit him. Um, usually with my mom or my grandma. And then eventually like around like probably 11 or 12, I would just start going up by myself. And, um, but he wouldn't ever come back to Michigan. So it was like a thing where I would talk to him every few weeks and then I would see him for like three weeks in the summer. So I had a lot of memories in Scottsdale, Arizona in the summers. Did you want to stay? Like, did you love it out there? I remember, well, I, my, this is how my mom pitched it to me because I learned the truth later, which we're, I think we should just get into that in just a second. Cause it's okay, a great tell, story. Tell me the lie first. <laughs> but like, she told me that like, cause I was very close to our next door neighbors. It was this, uh, these two sisters and we mm-hmm. spent all our time together, Ashley and Amber. And she's like, well, Ashley and Amber, you know, it's time to go back and, uh, you know, go back to them. They miss you. And I was like, oh yeah, cool. But I was like having fun in Arizona. I was just like, I was a little kid and, um, you know, I remember having happy memories, but I, I think I was just kind of going with it. Like, cause I knew that we still had our house. So you don't really have a good concept of time either. Like to me, it probably felt like two months, but it was seven so yeah, my mom just kind of made up a thing where it's like, well, it's just time to go see Ashley and Amber. And then, you know, I grew up with my understanding, like I said, of just going out there in the summers to visit. And then when I was um, a sophomore in high school, my dad moved back actually, which I was very surprised by. He always said, I'll never live in the winters again. And, but um, he, you know, he said he wanted to be around me more. And, and you don't so, have any siblings, right? Um, you do, but not, I, I, go ahead sort of do um that's uh i'll I'll come back to that okay (laughs) okay uh because it kind of plays into like after he died okay um so yeah yeah so uh he moves back my sophomore year and then like said right before the end of senior year he died but um the thing about my dad was um he was like i get to the point older and older now where not many people in my life ever met him. Yeah. But like, so like, it's kind of tough to describe him. So, but he was a very, uh, like party guy, I would say kind of immature for his age. Um, I came to realize that I was probably an accident, but they mm. were both like 30 when they had me. Um, and so growing up, like when I was a kid, we, we always butted heads because I think he was probably still trying to be a little bit younger than he was even in his thirties. And, and he wanted to like force things on me. Like, so I just remember like a couple weird things that I always did in like rebellion was like, 
he wanted me to dress up really nice all the time, even at like age eight and nine. He's like, put a belt on, put a put a nice dress shirt on. And I'm like, no, I'm a kid. Screw that. And like, <laughs> I'm eight. I was like, yeah. I was like, so the idea of a belt to me yeah. was like stupid for like so long. Yeah. Give me some elastic. <laughs> exactly. And like <laughs> the big thing though was like cars and handyman stuff. He loved cars. He was really into cars. He wanted me to, um, one of his big things was flipping cars. He would always have like three or four nice used Mercedes or BMWs in his name and he would park them and advertise and, and, and sell them and then buy another one and flip them. So I remember this memory of, I was like 12 or 14 where he was like trying to coach me into being a salesman. He's like, okay, I put an ad out in the paper. The phone's going to ring. And you're going to answer it. Now, if they're asking about how many miles are on it, you tell them this or the oil change. And, and I was just like, no, I don't want to do any of this. I'm still a kid and I don't want to know anything about cars. I put on this belt. Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. What more do you want? Baby steps. So it was like that. And also like helping him around the house. Cause it's like, once I got old enough to visit him on my own, uh, he would like, torture me because i was like I, don't, I didn't have a choice in what we did and he was like you're gonna help me paint this fence and do this so like it just kept translating whereas like the older i got i like now i'm like a full-grown man and i i still can't change a tire and i can't do all this other stuff because i was raised by my mom and i didn't want to know how to do it because i was like no i don't want to do what my dad wants yeah and like when i was in theater like building sets like i did not want any part of the tech i did not want to strike i did not want to build sets i just wanted to act and huh. um and it just represented and, dad stuff. yeah and it took me a while to realize that yeah but the, but then i would have to deal with like other like peers and you know and being like oh come on like what do you mean you don't know what a blah, blah, blah wrench is? And I'm like... <laughs> you like, don't even know one name of a wrench right now? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Monkey wrench. Monkey wrench. <laughs> 12, we'll 12 with, inch. Let's go with uh, Alan. Alan wrench, I sure. Know. I used we, that in a in a scene the other night. Alan wrench as a pun. It really worked. Oh, nice. Anyway. Um, I mean, it was dumb, so it didn't work. So it didn't work, yeah. yeah. You wanted it to work. So, okay. So your dad moves back... Oh yeah, to so, be around you like is that actually? So he had his own house across town, and um, yeah, and uh, um, but oh, this, okay. So this is where it's going. So he comes over to the house one day, and they sit me down, my mom and dad. And this was like probably maybe six to eight months before he died. So it was like really great that they did this. They sat me down, and then because all growing up, I would ask little questions here and there. And they would say, we'll tell you when you're older. We'll tell you when you're older. And they came over one day, or my dad came to my mom's house, and they sit me down and they say, hey, so um, it's time you knew some of the things that we always said we would tell you when you're older. And the first thing was like kind of tame, but they're like, you know, um, in the late 70s, uh, dad was kind of running with a wild group and uh, they, they, they trafficked marijuana and cocaine in their trunks, you know, and would kind of cruise through town and, and sell it to people. And I was like, yeah, that checks out. I'm not that surprised. Like by this point I knew that he had a couple DUIs and like, but like, <laughs> so I wasn't really that surprised by that. But then they said, um, my mom's like, do you remember why we moved back to Michigan after those seven months in the early nineties? And I'm like, no, I just remember going in the car and then starting school. And she's like, well, this is what happened. And together they tell me this story that, it was like 1990, 
two, I think. Okay. And my dad gets involved with, um, I don't remember his friend's name. We'll call him Joey. So him and Joey, probably Joey, probably a Joey (laughs) (laughs) probably was. So him and Joey, um, get involved with some guys and they're due to set up like this big drug deal at the Phoenix airport. And amazing. My dad is the like drop guy. So he brings a duffel bag full of weed to the airport. And <laughs> surprisingly, Great he gets place. caught. Yeah, I was to say, it's kind of the worst like place the to bring f- a bunch of drugs. <laughs> right. I don't know how it was supposed to work. They didn't tell me what the plan was supposed to be, but he gets caught and Joey's like not there. Joey's um, like at work. He worked at a bar down the road from our apartment. And um, just like a huge bag, like, probably like 30 pounds of weed. And uh, he calls my mom, who's at home with me. And um, so his name's Craig. Her name is Lisa. And he's like, Lisa, I'm busted. I was doing this thing. My mom had no idea. Like she was not involved in any shady dealings at all. Uh, And she's like, God damn it, Craig, what are you thinking? And he's like, well, here's the thing. They don't know that I only brought one of the bags. The other bag is in the closet. And they're going to have my information any second. They're going to probably bust down the door and you and Luke are there. So you need to grab that bag and throw it in the dumpster behind Joey's bar. What the fuck? She lo- she opens the door. Sure enough, big black duffel bag full of weed. And she's like, fuck. But what choice does she have, you know, in this moment? Yeah. So she grabs the bag takes me in the car, dumps it behind this dumpster. I don't think the feds ever did show up. I, I at least don't have that memory and I don't, I don't think they did, but Wait, she, why, um, why was he not arrested? At this he point? was. So yeah, see, so he gets, you get, you get a phone call. Oh, the call. Yeah. Got it. Okay. This is after he's I, already I been that. detained and yeah. And so on the call, he was like, you need to do this stuff with the extra drugs. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know how it was. Don't they monitor those calls? <laughs> You know, I probably should ask her that part of it today. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, I That's talked okay. to her today. Um, okay, but go ahead. Sorry. so yeah, so so she decides then and there though, basically like I'm not raising Luke around this. So she's like, the next day, she's like, pack up your stuff, we're going back to Michigan. And my dad ends up serving three years, but not in like a regular prison. It was in they call it tent city, and it was like little tents in the Arizona desert. What? without running water, without plumbing or anything. And this is real? Real. Like chain gang. Um, side note, my my name is Luke because my dad's favorite movie was Cool Hand Luke, which Sweet. was about Paul Newman working on a chain gang. Great. <laughs> and then he ends up doing that. Um, so yeah, he does that, I guess, for like three years. So I guess I didn't really see him again, but I would probably just talk to him on the phone in some way. Cause I remember like having contact with him when I'm like six and seven. Yeah. But, um, so he does that, but this is the crazy part. Devin is the guys that they were doing this deal with at the Phoenix airport were like legit mafia members, like not cartel, even though it's Southwest, like East coast mafia members that had some kind of presence in Arizona at the time. And they, um, basically once they had my dad, they knew that he had a family and they found out that there was a plan in place 
to kidnap my mom and I. Are you fucking serious? Because he was going to go to trial. Yeah. Luke, you didn't have to make up his entire story to be honest. I swear to God, man, this is all true. We could just talk about your dad. (laughs) This is unfortunately very true. Holy shit. So they, yeah, they they were like, well, we need to stop him from testifying against us. So we're going to kidnap, you know, my mom and I. And so they found out. They found out that the, like, we moved out on like a Tuesday morning and the plan to kidnap us would have went down Wednesday. And at the time when they told me this story in 2006, they remembered the name of the the mafia guy. But now my mom has no idea. <laughs> also like, Joey. This, it's probably Joey. <laughs> Joey bag of quarters. <laughs> but like, I'm like, ah, oh, like why did all this happen before smartphones? And like, I could have just Googled it right then and done research because I've always wanted to know more about it. Uh-huh. That's basically all I know about that story was that I was almost kidnapped. Well, Probably a good thing it did happen then because they probably could have found you a lot easier. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like another reason I go by Stanaway and not Neblo. That's, that's a good call. <laughs> wow. So you're, they, uh, they were like, ah, they left. Fuck it. We're not, we're not going to try and find them. Or did I they guess? Try? No. Cause like he probably told them like they're far away. Like don't, I don't know. But, and, and your mom was like, cool with uh you still having a relationship with him after that yeah well because like for all my dad's faults um even when we were butting heads um he always made it very well known that he loved me more than anything in the world like when we were really together like he was a he was a good dad and he loved me like just endlessly yeah and so and my mom's like such a caring, sweet person that I don't think she would have, you know, really wanted us to be that separate. But it is a good thing that I was raised by her, I think. Yeah. I think I would have turned out a lot different if it was just me and my dad. Like, she was talking about, like, how he was always wild and, you know, riding motorcycles and stealing motorbikes when he was, like, 14 and, you know, all this stuff. Where is he from? They're both from Jackson, Michigan. Oh, they are. They both, okay. yeah, they knew each other. They they were aware of each other growing up and in high school, but they didn't even date until they're like mid-20s. Yeah. They were at a bar and he comes over and he's like, oh, aren't you Lisa? And he asked her out for like that Friday night. And um, apparently they were both like, like my dad was like, oh my God, guys, like I got a date with Lisa. She was like the hottest chick in school. <laughs> And my mom thought that he was like such a badass, cool guy, but like she was more innocent. And she's like, wow, I'm going out with Craig Niblo. Like he was like the cool, badass guy in school. And so then. That's kind of sweet. Yeah. They started dating. I just found a picture of them from three years before they had me. And like he's like really like trying his best to look all cocky. He looked a lot like young Mickey Rourke. So like um, before he fucked up his face. I have an old picture of him from the nineties when he was living in Scottsdale, he would get mistaken for Mickey Rourke. Oh wow. Yeah. Is it? That's like, a handsome guy. Yeah. So like there's a, there's an early eighties movie called the Pope of Greenwich village with Mickey Rourke. And like, that's exactly how my dad looked is like Mickey Rourke in that movie. Well, it's a good thing. He doesn't look like now. Oh Mickey God. Rourke. Yeah. <laughs> like, great. like in Iron Man two. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah. your dad, okay. So your dad moves back. They tell you this crazy story. Yep. Um, 
then what happens? Oh man, <laughs> now it's gonna get like dark. Now and it's really gonna crazy. Get crazy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. So yeah. Um, even then, like I was sixteen, seventeen, and like I was going through my own like shitty teenage like you know immaturity and yeah because him and i were like he always knew how to push my buttons and so i remember the last time i spoke to him on the phone we got into a fight about something and i was just like super like rude to him and like talking back and being mean but he was kind of being a dick too and that was the last time i spoke to him but it was about probably two or three weeks before that the last time i saw him in person was um after one of my senior year plays i was in to kill a mockingbird as uh, Jim Finch and he came to one of the performances and he, he hugged me and um, uh, cause he was always very supportive of that. Like even when I was a little kid, he was like, I really think you should move to Hollywood. You would be so good at it. Wow. And that, cool. I think maybe like in retrospect all of this happening, like right after he died, like me going into college, maybe had a, a role in me pursuing it further. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I want to make him proud. And he told me that this is what I should do. I always got a lot of my artistic sides, from him he was a really good painter he did artwork he gave me my taste in music and movies like i would go visit him in the summers and he would show me r-rated movies that are like still some of my favorites <laughs> and because he was like yeah it's like so we we always talked about that and we bonded over like he would he would listen to rap music i remember in sophomore year he was driving and he was playing the marshall mathers lp Nice. And just like, just bumping it with my friends in the back seat. My dad still doesn't know who Eminem is. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You had a really cool dad. I think so. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, it had his flaws, but for sure. But pretty cool. He he was a really interesting guy. Yeah. Um, But so he had some more problems that I wasn't aware of until um, after he died. So the way it kind of happened was, um, you know, it was very sudden. I, he wasn't sick. Um, although I think I did know that at the time he had like some kind of like chest disease or something from smoking all his life. But, um, it was, a it was like a Thursday morning, I think, or something right before school. And my grandpa comes up like 7am in front of our house. Um, his dad, both my mom's parents died like right when I was born. So I only had grandparents on dad's side. And so, um, yeah my grandpa pulls up and my grandpa just passed away like two months ago. Oh, wow. Um, and he comes in, sets us down and he says, Hey Luke, um, I don't know how to tell you this. Your father died last night. And, uh, oh man, it was just so crazy. Like my mom starts screaming and then I was just sitting there in shock and we're like, how, like why? And he said, heart failure. And at the time he was living, I remember thinking something was weird because he seemed fine and healthy. And he was living with this girlfriend at the time who was like, I never liked her, had a bad feeling about her. She was very like trashy and like, just, I was just like, eh, is there foul play? Like, I think maybe she has something yeah. to do with it. Pam. And, uh, <laughs> of course, Pam. Uh, and, um, so I remember just thinking though, like, well, what was I supposed to do today? I have to go to school. So I asked my grandpa to drive me to school <laughs> And it just hadn't hit me. And my mom was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to go to school today. I need to get my mind off this for a minute. Wow. And I made it through the first like two and a half classes. And I remember this moment sitting in third period uh, Spanish class. And the only way I can really describe it is like, I've seen things like this in movies where 
like the character is just kind of like everything's moving around them in slow motion. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and you're yeah. just kind of like, yeah, either they're on drugs or they're just in a big, like sad moment. And I had this moment, I just look around and it was like, everyone was like moving in slow motion and laughing and having a good time. And I'm just like, Oh no. So I just like slowly like moved up to the teacher and went up and I was like, I have to go. My, my dad died last night. And then, but my friend Adam, who I mentioned, he was my ride to school. Usually he was usually my ride home. Mm -hmm. And so I had to go find him in his class. And at this point, two of our other best friends knew and they had kind of spread the word. And so I get there and um, he comes and he drives me home. And I don't really remember too much more about that week, but about like three or four days later, my mom and I went over to his house to kind of collect things and, you know, get the house ready and take whatever I wanted to keep. But by this point, Pam had already cleared it out. She took all of his like electronics, like TV, stereo. And I remember this is such a stupid, like funny thing, but I remember he was borrowing like five of my CDs at the time. And she, those were nowhere to be found. And one of the only one I remember was the first Akon CD. And I'm like, she took my fucking Akon CD too? My fucking Akon CD. Like, oh, <laughs> did she just, did she like skip town or was she I think like she's still in that area, but like she, she kind of denied it or said, I don't know what happened or I don't know. We didn't oh. really, I think I saw her briefly at the funeral, but that was the last time I've, yeah. I've seen her. Um, I think she's still in that area though. She has her own like kid. Um, and, but as we were leaving, my mom's driving me and she's, like, hey, I need to tell you something about your dad. Um, Grandpa's not probably going to tell you this, but you need to know more about what happened. Um, they were, my grandpa apparently was set to go to a play or something with my dad that night. And so my grandpa goes over there to pick him up. And he finds him dead. Um, but my mom's like, he didn't die from just like heart failure. And I said, what was it? And uh, it was just like, yeah, a bomb drop. She just said heroin. Hmm. And for all of the stories that they told me, never was that word ever mentioned. Like yeah. I had n like, sure, I'm sure he did weed and coke, but like every now and then, but I never would have ever expected him to even try that. Yeah. And... So that was like, I mean, it's still such a weird thing to wrap my head around to like not even know that that was a possibility until it was too late. And so my grandpa found him with a needle in his arm and apparently he had gotten hooked on it in Arizona at some point and then gotten clean. And when he was set to move back to Michigan, my mom like straight up said like, you're not moving back if you're still on that though. And he's, he said, no, I'm not, I'm clean. And I guess he was, but my hometown has pretty bad epidemic. Um, I think to this day of heroin and it wasn't an overdose, but it was like a dealer had mixed a pretty lethal, like a bad batch. So, excuse me. Um, so this same batch like killed two other people. Wow. And I guess the dealer went to prison in Detroit. Wow. Yeah. So, that's like what really happened. Yeah. And 
there were no signs though from I remember like when I would see him and like maybe he was like a little bit more reserved than I had known him to be hmm. but didn't show any signs of being an addict or you know anything like that but you were also not looking for it and, sure. and a kid yeah right? and I'm, and yeah and being from a very immature like mindset of my own like yeah you're a kid yeah just put on your first belt <laughs> exactly <laughs> sorry no it's good Dad. so it's a good callback um <laughs> but yeah so then and i remember nothing about the funeral other than like where it was really that my ex-girlfriend came to it to uh-huh. support me at the time um yeah it's kind of a blur but um so you, yeah. wow yeah so I mean, this so was you, 13 so you years knew, ago you knew about the heroin before the funeral yes okay like a yeah probably a few days going in yeah so that's i mean it would make it makes sense that you'd kind of everything from that might be a it yeah total blurs so wow i've always wanted to um one thing that i i always feel a little guilty about is i've been wanting to in some way help like people affected by heroin addiction and like volunteer at a center or something but i'm like well i didn't study you know anything like that i don't yeah. have training but i'm like yeah so if i know that i will at some point i just i feel bad that i haven't done it yet and maybe i'm just not emotionally at that place but i think i am because i've i've kind of matured and grown into an adult like everything was after he died yeah like so and one of the like biggest things is always like it's tough to, um, you know, I wish that we would have known each other better once I had matured. Like yeah. at the time, we were both kind of immature and doing our own thing. But, you know, he didn't really ever get a chance to see what I became. And, you know, I want to ask him about things I can ask my mom about, you know, as 100%. a man. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way about my mom. I think I probably have said that, but like. Yeah, the the saddest thing, the thing that really breaks my heart is like I I never got to know her as an adult, hmm, yeah. and yeah, I mean she got sick when I was fourteen, so like she died when I was twenty three, so I kind of was an adult by then, but I didn't know her as her anymore. Yeah, um, so she never like we never got to have. I just I get like I I imagine like I'll have conversations with my dad now, and I'm like, oh, this is like just two adults talking to each other. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that would be, what would that be like talking to my mom like that now? 100%. And uh, yeah, there's just, I mean, there's, there's so many things that like I would have connected with her about and then, and not my dad, but, you know, some with my dad, not her. So yeah, it's like you're kind of losing out on half of that connection mm-hmm. of an adult to your adult parent. Yeah. It's, it's, and also it's pretty wild. My mom has just like always been very, wanting to keep me safe and protected and yeah. never really gives me the full truth on a lot of stuff. Like oh, even going on with her, like, um, I mean like she had her own like recent health scares and that was really tough to deal with. Like mm-hmm. she's still, it's still kind of ongoing. We don't really know what's going to happen, but we know that she doesn't have cancer or all this other stuff, but it could still get worse at any moment. So, um, that's like a thing I've been thinking about more recently. The last few months is like, okay, well, I got one parent left and without really getting too much into it, because I think other family members might listen to this, but they don't really want to air everything, but she's not always taking the best care of herself. 
Yeah. And we had to have, when I was just home a couple months ago for my grandpa's funeral, we had to have a big talk and I'm like, you're all I got. Yeah. And grandma's dead, dad's dead. Grandpa just died. Like you need to stick around as long as you can for me. Yeah. Damn. That's intense, man. Yeah. It's so hard to, uh, I mean, I'm 32 and like I can, it's like all I can do to like change any small habit. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like I just went to the dentist two days ago and I'm like, I haven't been in like two years. I need to, I am on, I am on day three of flossing every day. And that's like, that's about all I can do. And it's just so hard. I mean, it's so hard to make lasting change in mm-hmm. the way you treat yourself. I can't imagine. I mean, it's like, you know, when you're your mom's age, our parents' age, like those habits like that long, it's so tough to change. But I I mean, maybe, you know, this was the, yeah, you know, it seems to be hopefully so far. Yeah. Um, Do you ever, I mean, is, is this something you thought about recently of like, oh shit, I, I should worry about the one parent I have left. Cause I never, as much as I love my dad, I, I do still kind of feel like he's invincible even though he's 70. Yeah. Well, cause I think, you know, when you're in the first half of your life, the parent is just for most people, something that's always there and they're shaping you. And they're raising you. And so you don't really, you like kind of think of them as a part of yourself. And so you don't really ever expect that to go away. And so I think it's something that a lot of people don't really even come to accept until they're maybe in their like late 20s, 30s. Um, I have, for the last few years, I think even right before I moved to LA, accepted the fact that, okay, you're your own person. I can only try my best, but I can't, I can't make you, I can't change you. Yep. And I'm totally okay with that. I know, you know, if my mom died tonight, it would really suck and I would be fucked. But I, I would, I would at least everything that I've wanted to say to her, I know that I have. Wow. And great. I know that she knows how I feel. We both love each other more than anything in the world. Like we, we talk probably three, four times a week Yeah, and end every call with, I love you. So when it comes to any, like things like that, I think, um, yeah, I, I grew to accept like, cause I, I had to move to LA. Like I could have easily stayed there and gotten into, you know, a rut and I would have been close with my family. It would have been much closer, but I wouldn't have been happy and she sent me a text this morning before she even knew that I was coming here. So I called her to ask some stuff about dad. And I woke up to a text from her that said randomly like, Hey, I just want you to know how proud I am of you moving to LA, following your dreams. You're so young and talented and amazing. And I think the world of you, and I'm so happy that you moved. Yeah. And it kills. I mean, if I moved back tomorrow, she would welcome me with open arms and take care of me and do my laundry and cook all my meals and baby me. But at the end of the day, she knows that that's not what would be making me happy. Yeah. So we both have accepted that for each other. So, yeah, I mean, did, did your relationship with her like immediately change or no? when he died? No, because I stayed living with her until I moved here. I lived in the same house my entire life until age 26, 27. Oh, wow. Um, so it kind of was just like 
business as usual. Cause then after he died, I, I stayed living there when I went to community college and then I lived on campus when I transferred to the university. Go um, Saints. Yep. Go Saints. <laughs> go Bill Murray's sister specifically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Did, did your, like, I mean, just getting back a little bit to the, yeah the moment of kind of realizing this big thing about your dad is like, you know, feels like a, a betrayal. I would imagine. Like, yeah. Holy shit. How did I, how did you Someone not could, tell me about this? How did I yeah. not know? At the time I for sure went through a lot of those questions and, and stage because it's like, well, damn, like I felt like I could have done something. Yeah. Of course I couldn't, but I'm like, man, if I would have known, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I don't really think things would have gone much differently, but you know, I definitely went through a lot of, um, moments of like, Oh man, like, was there a sign that I wasn't picking up on or, mm. you know, how many people really knew and didn't tell me. And I was mad at that. I was mad at my mom, mad at my grandpa. I think his parents were in denial about it. Um, my grandma, um, she passed about two years after he died, three. Um, she kept, she was very private. She kept a lot of things kind of um, under the surface. So I think she probably knew, but was in denial. So it made sense that she wouldn't have told me. My grandpa never really had a close relationship with. So that made sense. And my mom, she's probably thinking that he had still been clean. She didn't know until after he died that he was back on heroin. Oh, okay. So then I was like, okay, well, I can't blame her either. I can't be mad at her. Um, you were you know, mad at him? I mean, I, I think I was, I don't think I've been mad at him for a long time because I came to understand, um, you know, how much of a disease addiction is and that he, you know, was probably powerless in some ways and he, he wasn't trying to die. I mean, it was a bad batch. It wasn't even an overdose. Yeah. He was just trying to get high like any other night when he would do it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was definitely mad at him, but I, I think more than anything, I was just sad. I mean, it was just yeah. sad for the situation and <laughs> yeah. sad for myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, oh, oh, so the other crazy thing that happened right after he died, I was going to, this is going back to yeah. being an only child. At some point growing up, they, my dad told me, Hey, you do have a half sister. When he was 21, him and his girlfriend, or I think maybe a wife, my, both my parents had young marriages that ended quickly before they even started dating. Um, I think it was his, his wife when he was 21. They had a baby, put her up for adoption because they were not ready to be parents. And she grew up um, away from him, didn't have any contact, but he kind of knew where she was. And he was like, you know, Hey, I was probably like nine or 10 when he first told me about her. And he's like, you have a half sister. She's about nine and a half years older than you. Um, I think her name is Laura and it would just be a thing. Like I would forget about for a long time. And every once in a while it would just kind of come up. Well, then after he died, she contacts our family and writes a letter saying like, Hey, I'm his birth daughter. Um, I live in Royal Oak, which is a suburb of Detroit. So I'm like, wow, she lived less than an hour and a half my whole life away. Um, and she wrote down her, her contact info. And I remember writing her an email and I didn't get a response. And I, at this point, I still didn't even know what she looked like. 
And then it was about two years later, she sends me a random message on Facebook. And she's like, hey, it's your half-sister, Laura. And I was like, oh, my God. And like now I'm seeing her picture, and she has a family and husband and a kid. Wow. And we started just kind of talking on Facebook Messenger, like getting to know each other a little bit. But we would keep saying like, well, we should probably meet up. Like maybe let's meet halfway between Jackson and Detroit. And then something would happen and we just didn't. And then I went off to university. And then it was just the thing where like it kept, something kept getting in the way. And then we would go months without talking. And then when I was, and then I moved to LA. And then um, I had been in LA probably for a year or two. And we were talking again. At this point, we had each other's numbers. So we were texting and we were a little bit more involved. And I was like, um, she knew that I was coming home for Christmas that year. And she's like, okay, if I have to come to Jackson, I'll just come all the way to you. We can make it as easy as possible, but let's finally hang out and meet. And so we made, we made plans. This was like a year and a half ago. And we met up for lunch. Wow. And it was amazing. I mean... I just seen her in pictures and we look nothing alike. She doesn't even look like my dad. Like she looks like her birth mom. Yeah. Like 90%. Got it. So that was the other thing. It was like a weird, like I didn't have a connection maybe online. Cause I'm like, looks nothing like me, but we sit down and we talk for like three hours and all this stuff comes out that we share through our dad. Really? Like, Oh yeah. Like we're both like maybe not even things that we shared with our dad, but that we share with each other. Like we yeah. both, are big into pranking, especially our coworkers, <laughs> like little things like that. That seems and like it comes from your dad. Yeah, probably. Well, yeah. my mom actually was is a big pranker too. Really? Her and her family. The Stanaways are a hoot. There is so much fun. The Stanaways are a hoot. That's yeah. the tagline for this. Episode. Oh, I like that. There we go. I don't think there's a taglines, but I, just, I love it. <laughs> so um, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and you, she was, was that like, the only time you met her? Yeah. So. I went back, you know, for a few days for the funeral for my grandpa, but there was just not enough time. We wanted to meet up. But so the next time that I'm able to come for an extended period, um, we've been talking that I'll come to her and I'll meet her husband and my two nephews. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause she's like the only, you know, blood relative to your dad you still have. Right. Uh, and technically uh, my uncle Todd, his younger brother. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, I have an uncle who I was also never really close with, but like recently we've been reaching out more and, and trying to be part of each other's lives. So that's cool. Like he just sent me these pictures that I that I said I just saw of my parents like three years before they had me. Yeah. Um, so I do have him and then, yeah, my half-sister. Um, but yeah, there was just like a crazy thing because like I still identify as an only child. So I totally sure. grew up, yeah. but then it's, I also have a sister. And after I met her, I was just like crying like randomly for days. Cause I would think about <laughs> how much I loved her when I met her and all these things that I liked about her. And I'm just like psyched, like telling my friends like, Oh my God, guys, guess what? My sister does this and she's that. And by the way, yeah, I have a fucking sister. <laughs> like, hell yeah. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah. That's really cool. But, um, you know, she doesn't have that experience cause she was adopted. So yeah. So she never met your dad? No, as far as I know. I don't think so. Yeah. Nope. She met her birth mom. And she was in somewhat contact with her, but not my dad. Because also, by the time he back to, moved back to Michigan, it was like two years or less before he died. Yeah. So, um, If you you did listen to this podcast, so you know that I talk about crying a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like I talk about it so much. But I mean, it, how, how not that 
specifically that, but like, how have you been with like letting go of the dad stuff? Like, do you, do you consciously do it? Do you think about him a lot? Do you talk to him? Do you like get sad at certain things? Yeah. Like I, I associate him with certain movies for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, there's two movies that came out in 97 that he showed me when it was just him and I like Titanic. on the couch. Oh no, <laughs> that was 97, right? Yeah, it was. Titanic was my first date back in Michigan Hell when yeah. I was in fourth grade. So whoa, fourth grade date? Yeah, man. I had the Leo early. haircut with the bangs, and I bought my girlfriend Kelly a Heart of the Ocean <laughs> necklace. No, from the grocery store. Oh my god! But it was like a replica. And well, yeah, I was a charmer, man. Like my grandma took us there and she sat in the back and she let us have our time. That was our first day. And then we dated for like three years. <laughs> what? Yeah. Th- wow. Three year relationship. Elementary school. Fourth to seven. Three, fourth uh, to like six. Yeah. Like, okay. Right before. And then she moved to Virginia. Oh, um, the one that got away. Ah, uh, yep. Kelly. Kelly. <laughs> She's cool. But uh, no, the two movies I associate him with in 97 were Face Off. Oh, the best. Great action movie. The best. Not appropriate for a nine-year-old. Nope. But, oh, I love it to this day. Peach. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> oh, God. That's oh, pretty good. Nicolas Cage is great. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Sean. You're not having fun yet. <laughs> so good. And he, then. Uh, there was some weird shit in that movie. I watched it oh, recently. Yeah. Because like. So weird. He straight up has sex with with John Travolta's wife. Wait, yeah. Wait, Nicholas Cage. I can't remember yep. which one's which, but well they yeah, they flipped. But he like as the other guy impersonated yep. him and had sex with her. It was like if that in just, the body of your husband right, it's a terrorist. Would not happen in a today's <laughs> Probably movie. Probably not. Like no. we, we couldn't I watched I was like, "Oh my, this is horrible." Yeah. <laughs> How is oh, this yeah. allowed to be on He's a movie? Just, Wild. I mean, Although I did just buy it on Amazon, so I can watch it whenever. <laughs> oh yeah, it's so I need good. to buy it on Blu-ray. I only have like an old DVD copy. But I, I think that's very underrated, though. Even as it's ridiculous and it's a it's a great '90s action movie, but I don't think they get enough credit for their acting in that movie. They both do such a good job of picking up on the uh, the little things that they do before they change bodies. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's a it's a good exercise for actors. I, it, it's a great movie. What and was the, the, the other one? one? Is Goodwill Hunting, ah, which is the older I get, the more it moves up my favorites list. I think right now I have it at number three, well, and he showed that to me that summer too, and I remember liking it back then. But I probably didn't understand the full scope of the themes because I was a nine year old. Yeah, um, until I got older. But yeah, those two I remember we would always talk about. I also just rewatched that movie as well. Nice. It's great. It's so it good. It holds up. It's so good. It's not like the fault. only part that didn't quite hold up was the, yeah, I thank you, uh, <laughs> is the, the like score. I know it was nitpicky, but it was like a pretty like Ooh, I'll have to look out for that. music score. Probably. Great. Yeah. Like they played Elliot Smith and some other good songs in it, but like the actual like score of it was like felt a little sappy. But, you know, who am I? Right. <laughs> who am I to judge Matt and Ben for their masterpiece? Yeah. I'll have to look for that, though. <laughs> so, I mean, so you, you associate this stuff with your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, but like, oh, I, so the question have, was like. Yeah, yeah, but just like how, how much do you like involve him in your in your consciousness? I think I, um, if not every day, I still think about him a few times a week at least. Yeah. Um, just in little, just in the back of my head. Um, Like when I'm writing a new script, I think like would he like this or what would he get out of it? Cool. Um, but I think there's not as much of that because I grew up with my mom 
for like 90%, you know, of my upbringing. Yeah. Um, it was more like I got really emotional actually when I was moving out here. I was driving cross country and I made it a point. I had a lot of time. So I made it a point to stop in a different city for like a full day. Um, but I was running late and I was trying to spend a full day in Scottsdale. And I remembered the names of like some of his old favorite bars and, and stuff like that. And a lot of places had closed down. And uh, one bar that he really liked was an Acme that had turned into like a heavy metal bar. And the guy was like super nice, but I was like talking to my dad. But then there's a um, famous mountain in Scottsdale called Camelback Mountain. And a lot of people hike it. And it's really beautiful. And I wanted to get there in time to like hike Camelback. And there's also like a whole bunch of like really nice homes. It's kind of like kind of like Malibu or the Hollywood Hills. Like Johnny Carson had a house there till he died. And um, but I got there and it was too dark. So all I could do was like drive up through some of those neighborhoods and just pull over and have a moment. Yeah. And I just broke down, like overlooking the city and thinking about him and my memories of being with him and hiking that mountain as a kid. Yeah. Um, like that was a big moment for me and I wanted to to spend more time there, but I had to get back on the road. And I haven't been back since I moved out here, but I do wanna spend a few days in Scottsdale now that I'm a little bit closer. Yeah. Um, but in general, like, yeah, it was somewhat easy to kind of remove myself from it. Um, I think because he wasn't a part of my daily life when he was alive. Yeah. And I, I mean, not that it makes it any easier, but it's just a, it's a different thing. So what I hold on to is a lot of memories from when I was younger, even bad ones. Like, there were so many times that I hated him. We would get into arguments. We would, the only time I've been to Disneyland is when I was 16. Like it was probably the year before he moved back. Maybe I was 15, but we, we drove from Arizona to, to LA for Disneyland. And oh man, fuck. Now I'm going down this road. It's super embarrassing. <laughs> but I wet my pants in the car. We were like, like probably like 20 minutes from Anaheim. And I was like, dad, I have to pee. And he's like, fuck no. Like I'm not pulling over. Do you see this traffic? Where are you going to go? And I'm like, you don't understand. I'm going to wet my pants. And he would not listen to me. And then literally as there's, I remember like a hill or something. And like, as I can see the Mickey mouse ears, it just, (laughs) just all over inside his car, which was probably like a nice beamer. And he's just like, you little shit. And we had to check into the hotel with my pee pants, like at the valet. <laughs> like he did not give me any time to change. He's like, nope, you're going to stay like that until we get into the room. Oh my God. And so then he kept making fun of me the rest of the trip. He kept saying that he was going to, when I fall, he's like, when you fall asleep, do you know what happens when I put your hand in a glass of warm water? You're going to pee the bed. Uh-huh. Because you like to pee your pants, right? And I was just like, oh my God, I could not have hated him anymore. Wow. And I'm like 15. It's like legit mean. <laughs> yeah. But he he loved it. He loved to like mess with me like that. And oh, I hated him. Like, And he kept teasing yeah. me about my hair. I remember on that trip because I, I still had the bangs. Still had the Leonardo. Kind of. But he would call me uh, Batwing. Because like if it, the wind blew, it like, kind of fly up a little bit in my face. Oh, I remember face. that. I remember the flip. Yep. Man. And, uh, so it's like little things like that. So like, but those are fond memories now. Kinda. But it's just like, cause like a, the memories I have, you know, it's like, I wish there were better memories. <laughs> Maybe the the music and the art and the, and the movies, those were better ones. I yeah. remember. Well, speaking of music, 
Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know the tradition. I'm ready for this. <laughs> yes, I'm prepared. Have you thought about it? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, what, are, what are what songs? Um, a couple things come to mind. Uh, not Eminem's Kim, but I have a very distinct memory of him playing that in the car, uh-huh. which is a very violent song. Yes, it is. Um, no, so he he turned me on to um, a lot of like good like early hip hop. Um, he was a big fan of Beastie Boys. Yep, and I remember. I was borrowing the license to ill album from him oh, when so he died. Good. It's one of my, I think it's my favorite album. Oh, it's so good. So like probably fight for your right to party. Oh wait, I was thinking of ill communication. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> they're so similar. The names they, are yeah. similar, but I know they're both great. Both great. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely one. And then there's this other obscure band um, from the nineties called soul coughing. Oh, I, of course you've heard of them. Yeah. Oh, you're the, the second person that I know that's heard of them. The other is Meg Sinek. Great. When I came out here, I forgot how she, she brought it up. And I was like, oh, you know, soul coughing. My dad liked them. And I remember this one day we were like working in his backyard on something and he was painting a picture and he was playing that album. And he was like, here, check this out. And I was like, oh, they're, they're a little weird, but I kind of like them. And um, the, the whole Irresistible Bliss album uh-huh. is great but it's it's very it is like that kind of weird funky 90s vibe um soundtrack to mary is such a good song yep here it is move aside let the man go through let the man go through through yep yeah this is this is a classic of course i remember it. everyone i didn't, should I didn't think song. i didn't think people knew this at all oh yeah um so yeah super bonbon yep super bonbon <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we we won't play the um okay. the one that you actually want on there, which is what? Oh, any of these. I mean, soundtrack to Mary, Lazy Bones. All right, I'll listen to them later. Whatever one figure out what probably sounds the best sense. to you. Yeah, that's so funny trial. that soul coughing is. <laughs> yeah, wow, I'm surprised. I'm impressed that you know them, dude. I, I '90s, you know, like mid mid to late '90s music is like that's that the was jam. you know that was that was our jam, dude. Yeah, for sure. That's really funny that that's meaningful though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not what I expected. Sure. Soul coughing. That's cool. So, um yeah, I mean just wrapping up, man, like sure. I mean, it's kind of thinking about coming back around to you said the last time you saw me, he saw you do a play. Yeah. Right? And he was always supportive of that stuff. Yeah. And you kind of Yeah. I mean, do you and he never he's never saw you do comedy though, right? No, no. Um my mom's barely seen me do any too. Yeah. Um do you feel like I mean, you, you said it's kind of the inspiration. I mean, you have some of that inspiration from him to, to keep going, to oh, yeah. follow yeah. you. I mean, it seems like he was a pretty free spirit. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. At one point, I kind of like decided like this is what I want to pursue with my life. I think it was at a point where I realized like I'm not really good at anything else. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm bad at things no for sure that's that's the the takeaway yeah what do you um, so what are you doing um are you are, what are you doing now so um previously mentioned my best friend adam right now we're yeah. finishing up a film that we shot last summer oh cool um the last two films that we've made together a lot of io people were involved or worked on nice um so the graduation team that i was on truffle box mm-hmm. um Michelle King and Adrian Littleton were both on. Cool. And we cast both of them in the film. 
It's a very small short film, although it's a long short film. It's about 28 minutes. <laughs> um, small but long. Great. Yeah. Michelle has an audio role where you hear her voice and see a picture of her. But for the most part, it's just me and Adrian, all, mo- all movie. Um, yeah, it's called When Is Now. We just launched um, an Instagram page for it. At nice. when is now film great and uh it's about 95 percent done right now we're making some tweaks with some music and some sound stuff and then we hope to uh we're going to send it to festivals um we'll see what comes of it we're also adam and i are writing a feature version of it to also try to get funded and we want to actually shoot it back in michigan um and adrian is so great in it it's uh it's i i always struggle with saying like what it's about but the plot is different. I, I think it's basically about two people that are uh, friends for a long time, kind of spending a day together, repairing their friendship and slowly realizing that they have feelings for each other. Mm. But there's this other girl involved who I've just broken up with and she's really good friends with. And so we have to kind of take her feelings into consideration because she's like, well, I don't want to screw over my best friend and hook up with her ex who, you know, they've just broken up, but you're also like my good friend that we were friends with first. And yeah, so it's like a messy thing. So it's a, the theme is basically like, when is it ever going to be the right time for these two people to get together? When yeah. is now? So that's kind of what it's about. Um, and you wrote, wrote, wrote it, and wrote and produced it. Adam technically directed it, um, but we're both like very uh, much involved in the creative process. Cool. And, um, and you're starring in it. Yeah. Me and, me and Adrian Littleton. Um, I don't think I know, him or her her uh, I, she yeah. yeah okay yeah she was on travel box she was at io oh um if she gonna hear this and be like fuck i met Devin three times maybe <laughs> not i don't i don't there's like okay. slightly different io circles yeah so d- i wouldn't feel bad okay um but she's great like yeah we just had a photo shoot together the other day for the um for the poster wow that's awesome and yeah i'm really excited about it um we've put a lot of energy into it over the last like year and a half. That's really so cool. that's the thing I'm doing now. And yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That you're like, just yeah, making shit happen. Trying, I think it's man. like with this, in this world, like in this world, that's not what I, I didn't mean. Like in this world, yeah, I meant man. like, you know, in like our little world, you got to like, just, if you want to make something, you gotta just go write it and produce yeah. it and, and you just do it to. yourself um, and just see what happens. So it's really cool. Um, all right. So we'll put the link to that Instagram and people can check that out. Awesome. And I'll dig up a video of you in a oh. local sketch oh. show in Michigan. And uh, you just got buzzed. That was the, <laughs> oh, the <God>. line. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. Buzz you just TV. got buzzed. Yeah. What does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> From watching the show, oh, I'm buzzed. We can finish it out with a with an all right, all right, all right. Oh man, all right, Devin. Hey, I love your podcast. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Thanks, man.
Hello? Devin. Hey, man. Hey, give me just one second. I'm just stepping outside. Okay, yeah, take your time. What are you up to tonight? Um, I just left work, and I uh, stopped at our local bar for, for dinner with my roommate. There's <laughs> dinner at the local bar, huh? Dude, they, no, they have like really good, uh, really good food at our local bar. <laughs> nice. It's, it's kind of like our cheers. Is this Van Eyes? Um, yeah. What? Yeah, I, I don't think I've. The only thing I know about Van Eyes are, uh, um, Brody Stevens and the the comedian <laughs> who died. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and. Uh, and then, like, I feel like they've filmed horns there and stuff. That's what I heard, too. I don't know where, but apparently they do. <laughs> uh, are you good to talk now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I don't know, like, how I'll cut into this. But, again, like the podcast, don't worry. I'll, fi- I'll figure out a, a point to go in. Yeah, um, I, just finished, um, I just finished James's episode. Oh, yeah? What'd you think? Yeah. Oh man, uh, I um, yeah, there was just a lot of similarities, kind of with seemed like his family and a few things about his mom, and you know, kind of uh, hit me a little, a little more raw than I was expecting. Yeah, I bet. I mean, just <clears throat> James. Yeah, he he's such a such a interesting, awesome, fun, cool guy, and like his. Uh, I don't know. He was just the, the, I mean, obviously the fact that his parents died so quickly back to back was so crazy, (laughs) but, um, but that, and the deja vu of it, they happened so similarly and I don't know, pretty wild. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you got to listen to it. So, so yeah, I guess for the listener, um, and I can't, I haven't decided, (laughs) should I put this at the beginning? So they have context or should I put it at the end? Um, I don't know. What I do you think? It, it's a very weird uh, situation, right? I mean, we recorded it in, I think, June. Uh, no, then, can't be June because no? I moved in here in July. So sometime in July. Oh, okay. Maybe it was, yeah, July then. Yeah. And then, um, and then yeah, and then she just passed in September, even before, you know, it could be put out. So, um, yeah. I, I, uh, I guess, I'm the the record holder now for uh, freshest Ugh. dead parent on the show and uh, record of one parent dying after already recording an episode about the other dead parent. Yeah, so, I don't think uh, either of those will be broken. Uh, <laughs> hopefully not. I mean, yeah. terrible. Yeah. So what happened? I mean, so the last. I mean, so I was. I listened back to the episode and and um, I remember you saying that you know your mom struggling kind of with some stuff taking care of herself and and um, yeah also oh sorry yeah yeah no i i just wanted to kind of hear like since we left off what yeah what happened well so at that point things had already kind of started but they were in a very early stage uh back in like march or april she basically um 
kind of took a fall one day at work. She's a she was a kitchen manager at a restaurant up the street from our house, and um, she, yeah, they didn't really know what was going on, and it was very kind of sudden, and they ran a bunch of tests, and she was having a little trouble breathing and, and walking for a minute, and it, I mean, it seemed, it sounded like cancer. We thought it was cancer, but they did a lot of blood tests, and it, it wasn't any cancer. Um, and, you know, I'm back here in California kind of wondering what's going on. And um, a lot of things happened very quickly. At first, they, her sister, Jane, uh, my aunt, was um, helping her through a lot of stuff, and they kind of made the decision, okay, well, she can't work anymore. Um, she was due to retire in September anyway. So they were like, okay, well, we can at least apply for, like, some kind of disability, uh, Social Security, and, you know, um, but that can sometimes take three or four months to get accepted or rejected. So at first she was kind of in limbo. She had no income and her siblings were kind of helping her pay bills. And then as we were getting more, uh, tests back and, um, kind of long story short is like before too long, we, we realized that it was, um, neuropathy, um, which is when the, your, your nerves start kind of uh, breaking down and it's, it's nerve damage from a lifetime of smoking or drinking or both. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's kind of what I was referring to when we recorded the, the podcast about dad is I knew that she was having some issues directly tied to, um, you know, not taking good care of herself. And, and it was never like it was a overwhelming issue. Like, you know, she was a very high-functioning alcoholic. It, it would really just catch up to her at the very end of the night, you know, after a day of, like, slowly sipping, you know, on something. It would maybe, like, towards the end of the night, she's getting more slurring and, um, you know. But once I was kind of a young adult, I realized, okay, I think my mom's alcoholic. She can't go a day without, you know, she had her... uh her, her plastic cup and it would be Mountain Dew, but Mountain Dew and vodka or Kool-Aid and vodka. And she always hid cigarette smoking from me, which, I mean, I guess to her credit, she never smoked around me, but for a while it was like, okay, I know that you smoke, but she would always hide it, but she wouldn't hide it around any other family members or friends of mine. She just always wanted to have, she wanted me to always kind of have the best impression of her yeah i guess um so anyway so so that was going on and it was it was slowly kind of progressing to the point where then in like late july august now she's having a really a hard time walking and um you know her her joints are starting to stiffen and um her her breathing was was getting pretty bad and eventually they had a hospice um, nurse come in for a checkup and they they kind of said yeah hospice needs to be involved um, you're not you know dying in the next few weeks or anything but you can have an in-home care option and she rejected uh, like a round-the-clock kind of care and so instead there was a nurse that would come twice a week and check her vitals and give her medicine and new prescriptions. Uh, she was on 
several medications. Um, and as, as her condition was getting worse and worse, the whole time she was in denial. Um, and so I would have to hear about it from her siblings and, um, and they would give me the real updates of like, well, this is what the nurse says, but your mom thinks, uh, all she has to do is gain a little weight or eat better because she'd been, she'd been kind of getting skinnier and skinnier the last couple of years, but it was starting to become like drastic. Yeah. And she just had it in her head. Oh, all I need to do is gain weight. I just need to eat more and, you know, try to gain weight and then I'll be stronger. I'll be more healthy to walk. And the nurses, meanwhile, are saying, you know, let her think that, but it's not going to get better. And it got to the point where they were like, yeah, this is irreversible. There's been too much damage done to her body. Um, so fast forward a little, um, it's like the very end of August. And I got a call while I was at work uh, from my Aunt Jane. And she says, hey, the nurse came by today. Um, and at this point, mom had already had a walker prescribed to her. And um, she was having trouble getting around the house and got to the point, you know, where she couldn't even really leave the house. And uh, but she, my Aunt Jane says, yeah, the nurse said um, she has probably three months or less to live. Hmm. Is this the, like, uh, at this point, I mean, up until that point, did you, did it feel that serious or were you kind of just like, Oh, I don't know. I Well, I knew that it was, but to me, like, it seemed like a thing that would be more drawn out over like two, three, four years. Right. Um, Cause when I saw her in May, I went back to my grandfather's funeral and she did look bad but it wasn't as bad as everyone was making it out to be. And part of it is also, you know, I mean, I talked to her on the phone four or five times a week and she always sounded fine and she would, you know, downplay it. And I knew that she was in denial about some stuff, but you know, she's like, I know my body, I'm not dying. People can relax. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But I also knew that it was irreversible. I just had no clue that it would progress this quickly. Right. So then it's like late August and I'm like, okay, three months or less. Um, damn, her birthday is September 7th. She was turning 63. And I'm like, okay. Um, or no, 60, wait, 57. She just turned, yes, yeah, she's turning 62. Um, and I was like, okay, well, her birthday's coming up. I want to fly back home for that. And, um, can you hear me? Oh, uh, not really. Yeah, one second. Okay. I know what happened. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry. So, um, so yeah, so I knew that her birthday was coming up, and I was like, well, there's no way to really plan for, I can't leave LA for three months straight. Um, so my plan was, I'll come home. I'll book a quick, like four days because things are really getting bad and I'll just spend a few days with her, um, as she is, you know, while she's still my mom, because I knew that, you know, if hospice really gets involved and she has to go to a hospice home, sometimes the last like week of somebody's life, sometimes they're, they're mostly in a coma state. And so 
I didn't want to wait until it was too late to come home. So I said, okay, I'll just come home for a few days. I'll spend as much quality time with her as I can. And then I guess I'll come back again once things are more final. Right. And that was the plan. I flew home on a Thursday night, um, beginning of September. And her birthday was that Saturday, the 7th. Um, when I got home, I realized, you know, how real, how real bad it was. Um, she was confined to her living room chair. She couldn't go to the bathroom on her own. So she needed help lifting, getting lifted into her wheelchair and rolling her into the bathroom and, uh, lifting her onto the, the toilet. And then she would, I would walk out and she would let me know when she was ready. And then I'd bring her back into the living room and she couldn't eat solid foods. Her, uh, her tongue had been numb the last like month or so. So it was harder for her to speak and she could only drink uh, chocolate and sugar, which she also thought if she just drinks enough of that, it's protein and it'll gain weight and I'll be better. Right. Um, so the first couple of days I was home, I was really just doing that. I would, I would be with her all day and then I would kind of meet up with, with friends at night to get dinner, you know, take a quick break. Um, but I were, was you, like, were you alone with her all day? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, just her and me and our dog. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking I mean, how that, that has to be just in being kind of like at, at times alone with my mom when she was not doing well, it's like, it's a, it's a lonely feeling, I'd imagine. Yeah, I know for sure. And just seeing her, I mean, it was the one thing looking back now is like, well, at no point did she ever really admit that it was reaching the end. Mm-hmm. And so we could never really talk about it as if it was, you know, even that Thursday, the first couple of days, she's like, Oh, I just can't wait to get better for you. I'm so, she's like, I, I wish you hadn't come home and see me like this. Yeah. Next time you see me, it'll be so much better. So, but Saturday was her birthday and I had gotten her a gift and we were going to sit down and watch, uh, watch my movie and look at some old photos that I had found. And she just wasn't feeling up to it. And she didn't want any visitors like her, her siblings and a couple of my friends wanted to stop by for her birthday. And she got really upset. She was just like, no, no, no. I'm not up to it. I don't want any company, please. Like, and I don't want anyone seeing me like this. I'm embarrassed. So I was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do all this to the next day. And then Sunday morning came the, the eighth. And, uh, that was when she admitted, like we had such a tough time that morning with getting her into the chair. And she said, okay, I think I should go to the hospice, but they have this option called respite where you just go for five days, honey. And, I just think I need to go there for five days and they can get me a little bit stronger and get me better. And then I'll come home. Hmm. Well, I went home. Well, I mean, I, I was, I was at home. I had to use a friend's, um, our, our plumbing had, had been broken. So the, the water in the shower was only ice cold. So the whole time I was home, I was using a friend's, um, shower. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go down the street, take a quick shower. I'll be back. And while I was gone, her sister had stopped over and called uh, an ambulance um, or the, the, the hospice nurse. Yeah, she said she's having a too tough of a time. Her, her legs were like kicking involuntarily. And uh, by the time that I got back in like an hour, 
They said, the ambulance is already on the way. She's going to hospice now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, ambulance came. And that was very surreal. I'm standing in the, you know, my front yard and they loaded her on and took her out. And then my, my aunt comes up to me and she's like, yeah, she's, she's not coming back home. Like this is it. <laughs> so that Sunday we checked her in to hospice and a uh, pretty draining day. Um, and then I canceled my flight. I was supposed to fly home the next day, Monday morning. I canceled my flight until further notice. And then, um, I mean, you know, I don't really, I mean, what can I say? The next couple of days were um, pretty tough. I mean, I was at hospice three, four times a day, um, checking in with her. They made her very comfortable. I mean, the hospice in my, in my hometown, Jackson, was, I mean, they were just incredible. Yeah. Incredible women. Um, no matter who was on duty, they treated you like family and made her so comfortable. Um, her condition slowly worsened the next couple of days. I mean, her breathing got to be kind of shallow. It got to the point, I think, on late Monday or sometime on Tuesday, she was mouthing. No sound was really coming out. So it was just like heartbreaking. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what you're saying, mom, but I love you, mama. I love you, mama. Um, and at the same time, being the only child, I'm like, okay, they're telling me all these other things I'm going to have to start handling. And so I'm like going through the house and trying to get ahead of that and box up things that I'm going to want to keep because everything else is going to have to get thrown away. And, trying to worry about uh, what to do about our dog. And, you know, I couldn't take her to California as much as I wanted to. I mean, she's like just my everything still eating me up. Uh, not with my dog or that I know that I can't, you know, that she's not with my mom. Mm -hmm. She was really, really attached to my mom. Um, one, one quick thing though, that's kind of, kind of cool is, um, I just want to make a comment about the, uh, the spirit of, of dogs or I guess just pets in general and how fucking like smart and receptive they are. That first night that uh, we checked mom into hospice, I came home at the end of the night and I was so drained and I sat on the couch and I, you know, I had, I had her, uh, Sadie, the dog, she hopped up on my lap. I was like, come here, Sadie. And I just started bawling. I was so sad and I was just bawling. And she looked up at me and she was like from my lap. And I, it's kind of hard to demonstrate without, uh, you know, seeing each other, but she put her two paws on my shoulders mm. and then like spread them and then like pressed down and put her head down on my chest and like literally hugged me. Oh man. And like, she could just, you know, she knew exactly yeah. what was going on. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, so yeah, mom's getting worse and worse. Hospice is, you know, doing their best and I'm, you know, trying to get a handle on stuff. And then Wednesday afternoon, it was September 11th, and they were like, one of the nurses at hospice said, it's going to be today. I was like, damn, like, mom, don't die on September 11th. Like, <laughs> of all days, like, I don't want to think about that as, like, doubly, like, tragic. Right, yeah. Um, but she wasn't, she, she wasn't dying, and then I was, I, I don't remember what I did that day, but at the end of the night, it was like 11 p.m., and I went, I drove back over there to say goodnight. 
and um, you know, said goodnight and kissed her. And then um, I was planning on going back over there the next morning at like 8 a.m. But they woke me up at like 6 a.m. And they said uh, she passed about 5.40 a.m. on September 12th. Um, and so we were checking on her. And then we went back in the room a couple minutes later and you know, her, her breathing had stopped. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, that's like barely, barely a month ago. Wow. How, I mean, God, it, it almost seems, uh, trite or something to ask you how you're doing, but cause I'm sure it's a, <laughs> complicated and mostly yeah, very, shitty, but, um, uh, I don't know. Like yeah. how, how's this last month been, um, or how are you taking care of yourself? You know, I don't know. Well, at first, I mean, uh, at first I was not in a good place. I did a couple, uh, probably destructive things I'm not proud of. Um, sure. Uh, just, yeah. I mean, and I, and I'm like, but I was also like conscious. I'm like, okay, I don't want to go off the deep end and use this as an excuse for like, you know, treating myself badly or bad behavior. So yeah, I, um, but I had a couple, you know, rough nights and, um, a lot of it, I mean, it's almost like for, for the first week or so it was like nonstop because then I had to deal, like everything was on me. Like my family was telling me I had to pay for the whole funeral and Whoa. arrange that. And like, that wasn't really a conversation, which was weird. Like, I guess their argument was, well, we've been helping pay our bills and doing all this other stuff, but like no one asked me if I could even afford to pay for her funeral and really kind of couldn't, but I was like, okay, I do that. And then I had to pay for death certificates and it's like, like I had to go to city hall and I was like, okay, could I have like 10 copies of it? And they're like, that's $85. So I'm just like, wow, okay, I have to pay for this and pay for that and arrange the funeral. And um, now I'm in the process of uh, midway through of um, selling the house, which certain family members are coming at me and, you know, trying to convince me to not sell it. And I'm like, well, I'm not moving back to Michigan. And so I don't really know what point there is. And, you know, yeah, it would be great to just keep it and just stay there whenever I'm home. But that would mean I'm, you know, essentially paying bills on two houses at once. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just can't hang on to it just for sentimental reasons, even though it's, you know, my, we've, we've had the house literally my entire life. Yep. So, um, I'm going through all of that. Um, and that like, that's a whole separate other thing. Like if we had like really a whole episode, like there's like some interesting things to dive into about selling a house that <laughs> I found pretty, yeah. pretty funny because um, I'm getting an offer from a family friend but it's like so low compared to what I could get for it and I'm like so now I'm choosing the much more difficult route and you know going through all of that so hopefully we can list it and sell that um, but as far as like mentally and all that I mean it's definitely helped that I that I work so much out here and that I've had a lot to keep me busy Yeah, because most of my time, most of the day I'm just trying to focus on what I'm doing next. Or even if I'm not really doing anything, I'm just like, okay, well what, what show can I catch up on? Or, you know, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was like four days ago. I was laying in bed trying to go to sleep and I just started crying and, and certain songs come on now, like just on the radio, it's like instant, you know, breakdown. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so, yeah, go, no, go ahead. I mean, uh, I don't know. It was just, yeah, it's, it's really tough. I think it's, it's still in that surreal stage where, um, you know, doesn't feel real as, you know, everyone kind of says, um, and just polar opposite experience from losing my mom to losing my dad. Um, you know, we were, we were as tight as a mother and son can be. I mean, it was, you know, many days, just us kind of against the world growing up. Yeah. And, um, she was just so loving, such a big personality. It's just so weird that, you know, just the simple fact that the world doesn't have her anymore. Um, so yeah, I think when I really sit and think about it, it's like just still eating at me, but I try to keep my mind off of it and I know it might not be the most healthy thing, but, um, kind of slowly trying to take it one day at a time and one thing at a time, like, okay, once the house is sold, then maybe I can you know, feel some kind of relief about that end of it. Um, yeah. but it's just, yeah, I wish that she would have admitted it before it was too late. Um, cause you know, even up to, you know, her last couple of days, she's like, I'm not dying, but I wonder if she really was in denial with herself or if she was just trying to not make anyone worry. Right. Because that was the other thing about my mom is that she would just put everybody before her and she would take care of you first. And she would go over to other people's houses for a party and she'd be the one cleaning up. <laughs> and she'd be like, no, no, you sit yeah. down, you sit down. It's your house. <laughs> like I'm going to yeah. clean, you know, just big personality, huge Michigan accent mixed with some kind of like twang because she lived in Texas for two years in her twenties. And, um, yeah, so sometimes, like, when I'm talking to a, one of my friends that knew her, I'll just kind of go into her voice and for a laugh or kind of make them smile. I'm like, oh, yeah, honey, okay, you know it. Yeah, ooh, yeah. And they're like, that's <laughs> basically my mama. And then, um, yeah, Lisa, Wheezy. Oh, yeah, they you were saying that uh, she also had the nickname of Wheezy, like James Dunn. Oh yeah, yeah, James's sister Lisa and my mom Lisa. My dad always called her Wheezy. That's so weird. And, uh, and well, and I was named Luke because for some reason her dad, growing up, her nickname, her her dad's nickname for her was Luke. Mm. And so her siblings, whenever we'd all be around, they would say Lukey, and I would look, and but they're like, oh no, Big Lukey. <laughs> and uh so my mom's nickname was Luke and then my dad's favorite movie was Cool Hand Luke. So right. it worked it worked for both of them. Yeah. Man, I I don't know. I mean, there's nothing to say. Uh I always I remember always hating when people would say like I'm so sorry or I'm sorry for your loss and all that. So, you know, I'm not gonna say that necessarily, but I can just um I just imagine that this is a really shitty fucking time right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I just, uh, I mean, it's getting better and I'm just so lucky to, to, um, 
to have the friends that I do, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. with very little family left of, you know, it's aunts and uncles and my half-sister, who I am leaning on more heavily now. Like, we yeah. got a lovely dinner together right before I left town, and she came to the service. And, oh, great. Um, so, like, you know, we have a good relationship, and I can't wait to meet um, her husband and kids next time I go back home. But, um, but yeah, with, like, fewer and fewer, like, uh, immediate family. It's just, I really do have an incredible support system and I, I'm just happy that I know the, the community that I do out here. And, um, I mean, you're definitely included in that. I mean, you're an awesome person and I'm happy to have you in my life too. Thanks, bud. And, uh, so yeah, it, it does make it easier, I would say. Yeah. Um, for sure. I and think, you know, although oh, go ahead. I, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, far be it for me to give life advice, but I think like, yeah, I mean, I texted you this too. Just like do, do whatever you got to do right now. Uh, don't feel bad for having a destructive night. If that's what you need that night. Um, you know, if you find yourself crying, like let it out, like just, just be wherever you're at. Don't judge yourself. Cause if you, if you start being like, Oh, I shouldn't feel like this right now or whatever, or I should be taking a better care of myself right now. Just like, just give yourself some some leeway to uh, be wherever you need to be. That's that's the thing I wish I'd, you know, I don't know. It's like you no, know you, you know those things, but then you don't treat yourself with the way you maybe would you know have someone else treat themselves because you're I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to, right. but uh, yeah. the more you can hear it, the better. For sure, and uh, no, yeah, no, I I appreciate that. That's. That's good advice. I will keep that in mind. (laughs) I will say the the one thing that I do think is a little funny is like, you know, when everyone's reaching out to you and, you know, like, let me know anything you need or what I can do. Sure. Like it's, it's obviously coming from like the best place, but I, I did think like in the moment a few times, like when it would be somebody that you literally haven't even like spoken to or seen in person in like 15 years, or like, you know, like, how weird would it be if I followed it up with like, well, I'm actually, yeah, could you bring over some, some boxes for me or do my uh, laundry or, do, you know, like, like, what an asshole would I be like, if like, to call their bluff, like, you like, like certain people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I did actually get a little help for a couple random errands from, from people, but they were like still people that were close to me. Like, oh man, if you know, your, your mom's right down the street, does she happen to have a big box I could use for this? Like, that's one thing. But if, but if I was just like, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm glad you said that uh person from fourth grade. Uh, why don't you like, <laughs> yeah, right. I know people just want to f- seem useful, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah. And that's why I, I feel bad making fun of that, but no, it's funny. I mean, we've it, all done it too. Yeah. Um, you should start holding them accountable and just, and asking every single person for a favor. See what happens. You, you said, <laughs> I need anything. Later. Just send more requests. Just, <laughs> yeah. just like $7. Yeah. Oh no, I was thinking like 700. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, I mean, Oh, you know, you, you mentioned songs. Do you, do you want to, do you want to put a, a mom song in there? Or is that, or does that feel like too much for now? Um, I mean, you're the, you're the, 
you're the host and, uh, and editor. I'll leave it to your discretion. The one, the, the music that really makes me think of mom is, um, is, um, definitely Temptations. Mm. Um, you know, she loved a lot of Motown. She loved Whitney Houston, Prince and Journey. Um, <laughs> those are like the big four that I, I like will always like immediately associate with mom. Uh huh. Um, okay, cool. I'll throw something in there. Yeah, and I, and I like the the stuff we chose for my dad too, especially yeah. that you knew soul coughing. Oh my god. Oh yeah, I already picked a good. good song from there. I, um, cool. Well, I'll, I'll. I mean, we'll have an extra transition here, so I'll throw something in. But um, all right, buddy. Well, you know, obviously, if there's anything I could do, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you the request tonight. <laughs> yeah, send me the memo request. Um, <laughs> but seriously, reach out if you ever just want to talk uh, off mic, as they say. I'm around anytime. Absolutely, man. And I really appreciate uh, everything yeah. you've, and, uh, you've done and said this far. For sure. And thank you. I mean, you know, I, I know I was pretty like, hey, we really don't have to do this however you want to do it. But um, the fact that you are open to coming on and and talking about it when it's still raw, I think um, specifically might, you know, uh, sort of hit some people in a way that maybe other conversations haven't because they maybe if they're going through it right now. So, um, you know, I think you're doing a, a really good selfless thing that'll that'll help some people. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime. I'm uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Much love, brother. Okay. Bye, buddy. But it was just my imagination Running away